Well, good morning. I'm Aaron, uh, one of the pastor elders here. Welcome online, and uh, we are glad that you're here worshiping with us in whatever form you are doing so. Happy Halloween. Uh, I know not everybody loves hearing Happy Halloween uh, from up here. <laughs> you know, that's all right. Uh, you know, we're in the business of redeeming things. Actually, Jesus in the biz- is in the business of redeeming things and buying them back. And we've been redeeming Halloween for decades here. Uh, so, amen that it's on a Sunday. Every day is uh, the Lord's day, and so we want to worship Him, and today we're doing the same thing. In fact, we're doing so more so than many other Sundays because we are going to be giving back to our community, and, uh, and with our curbside treats, we've been doing that with our Hallelujah Festival, like I said, for decades, inviting uh, the community into our home and playing games together and giving out candy this year, uh, a little bit different with our curbside treats. We'd love to have you join us to hand out candy and uh, smile at cute little kids and uh, and give along with candy the love of Jesus uh, and just a smiling face uh, and the joy that we have in, in knowing who has bought this day and every day back. Uh, so come out in your non-scary costume and, uh, and join us. You can be here at 340 or so if you want to help out. And we already have enough help, uh, but we still want you. We just want you here. How amazing would it be to walk through, uh, drive through dozens of people that are handing out candy and sharing this love. So come join us at 3.40 or so and uh, get set up with us. That would be great. Uh, I know that this season and this day can uh, bring and remind us of some things that are kind of scary to us. And, and people, different people are, are afraid of different kinds of things. Some uh, are afraid of the dark. Some are afraid of heights. Some are afraid of, of snakes or spiders or Sasquatch or aliens or uh, whatever your particular brand of horror is. Uh, there's a new set of channels out that's dedicated to these kinds of scary stories. I don't know if that's just an October thing. Uh, one of them's I called, I think called CNN. Uh, the other was Fox News. <laughs> I came across those the other day. Whew. Avoid them. Too scary. Uh, maybe they will go away on November 1st. I'm not totally sure. But, um, uh, but we're going to kind of look at some verses that can be scary for people. And we've been going through uh, thematically uh, Luke a little bit in these last number of weeks. And so we're going to jump forward a bit. We started into chapter 21, I believe, last week. But we're going to continue in chapter 21. So we're kind of bouncing around uh, within the book of Luke. But uh, you can turn to Luke 21 or scroll there in your Bible app if that's how you're joining us and, and reading along. So it says in verse uh, 5, it says this, uh, Luke 21, verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will be not, uh, not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. You see, they've spent some time in Jerusalem. Again, as we're jumping around, uh, they've been in Jerusalem for a number of days. They're walking around as they're leaving this area. Uh, the, the disciples decide to point out to Jesus kind of the architecture and the, and the setting of which they were in and say, take note of this. Take a look at this, Jesus. In Matthew, he's recording similar happenings. And in Matthew, it says, Jesus left the temple and was going away. 
And when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them, saying, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. In another place, Jesus said, I will destroy the temple and then I will rebuild it in three days. Now, now these words of the disciples, I, I don't know if you've ever been to D.C., like if you've been to D.C. and seen these massively impressive structures. And uh, Ben and I, my son Ben and I went uh, one time and I, I remember at the Archive Building and we went to these doors and they are just towering, 40, 50 foot doors and you are, are tiny in comparison to them to look around at the arches and the, the pillars that are there which are all modeled after many of the buildings that they would have been around in this area. And as they look at the temple in particular, this was an impressive structure. It was kind of the hub of, of Jewish life, both religious and political. It was the place that they came to worship. It was also their treasury where their riches uh, were stored and, and many archival documents. And so this was an impressive place. Even in its architecture, it actually had been built uh, by Herod the Great after Solomon's original temple was destroyed uh, by Babylon a, a number of hundreds, five, six hundred years previous to this. And so he's looking at this impressive structure and he says, are you impressed by that? That's nice. The day will come when not one stone will be left stacked upon a number, another of those stones. If you're impressed by that... You just hold on for what is going to come. This would have been somewhat a treasonous statement to, to make a threat against uh, the temple of the Lord. And yet, Jesus is saying these words. And I want to park these uh, here, and uh, we're going to circle back around to it in a little while. Verse 7, he says, And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said to them, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am, the, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, uh, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once." And so they're asking him two major questions. The first is, when will these things take place? When? When, Jesus? When will this stuff take place? And what do we look for? How will we know that the time is upon us? Tim Mackey, who's a lifelong student, a theologian, also co-creator of the Bible Project, talks about what Jesus is doing here as well as many other places in Scripture as uh, apocalyptic writings or poetry. And there's many places throughout Scripture that these kinds of apocalyptic writings take place. Now, apocalypse, when we hear that word, we think of the end of days, the end of time, when in actuality, it's actually speaking about an uncovering, a revealing, bringing clarity to something that we did not have clarity on previous to this. And so Jesus, when he starts saying these kinds of things, reminds the disciples of apocalyptic poetry that they have seen in the Old Testament and the scriptures. And many of them were filled with signs of the time and, and telling of when these things would take place. So it makes sense for them hearing Jesus speak in these types of terms to say, when, 
When? What will it look like? And so they're asking questions along the right lines. You see, we have lots of different apocalyptic writings throughout the scripture, this being an uncovering. Uh, one obvious place is revelation. That's really what it means, a revelation uh, of things to come. We also see this in the writings of Daniel, which we spent some time in last year, Isaiah. Even in Acts, when Saul is walking along the road, he has an apocalypse of his own as Jesus meets Saul on the road and uncovers the truth of who he is, and he becomes Paul and starts to follow the way. And so it's within this kind of context that the disciples are asking these questions. Tim Mackey actually explains it in one way. His audience is in Portland. He's up there uh, working on the Bible Project. And so I'm not from Portland. I've never lived there, and our uh, geography is a little bit different. So I want to explain it in a slightly different way along the lines of how Tim explained it to his audience there in Portland. You see, in Colorado Springs, there's this small mountain called Pikes Peak. Let's go ahead and take a look at it. Now, Pikes Peak is uh, the mountain of which the shadow, uh, uh, under the shadow of Catherine Lee Bates wrote the lyrics to America the Beautiful in 1895, though it was originally just a poem not set to music called Pikes Peak, only later to be put to music. Surrounding Pikes Peak in this here picture is a small portion of a place called Garden of the Gods, which is just a few miles to the east of the foothills of Pikes Peak. I actually have a more beautiful picture of Garden of the Gods right there. There you go. That's my daughter, Brooklyn, and uh, my niece, Julia. And, and that's the spot. That's that same spot that that picture is taken of Pikes Peak. If you go a little bit further, uh, you can see and walk around in this place called the Garden of the Gods. Go to the next shot. And it is Colorado red rocks that jet up out of a somewhat flat landscape and is just absolutely beautiful and impressive. And when you're walking around Pikes Peak, these rock outcroppings tower above you. So the point that if you're actually on the eastern side of the garden, you can't see the front range at all. And, uh, and this is kind of where I grew up. I grew up climbing these rocks uh, before they made you have permits and training and all that kind of stuff. Uh, pulled too many people off the rocks, I guess. Uh, cost a lot of money. And so if you continue to travel east a little bit, then it puts the Garden of the Gods in perspective of Pikes Peak. Go ahead to the next shot. And, uh, and these rock, rock outcroppings, and it's a beautiful setting. Uh, uh, this was kind of the view from most homes in Colorado Springs from my office when I worked at David C. Cook. Not right here, a few miles back, but uh, had to look out at that. You know, it was unfortunate, but somebody had to. Now... Um, I don't know if you, you know, your experience with things, usually the closer you are to something, the bigger it is. I remember a far side cartoon from the 90s that had a rear view mirror, like a side mirror, and it was this giant eyeball, and it said at the bottom, objects in mirror are larger than they appear. And, uh, and so as you get closer, things become larger, and yet something about Pikes Peak operates differently than that. If you travel about 15 miles east out to a, a little town called Falcon, which pretty much runs into Colorado Springs right now, but was kind of out in the fields a bit uh, before and in the plains, this is what Pikes Peak looks like. It's just massive and towering 
over you and impressive to look at. And, uh, and this is kind of what's happening here in the book of Luke. There's a place that you can stand out in the plains of Colorado where you're looking at the plains right in front of you. A little bit further in the distance are the Garden of the Gods and these out rock outcroppings. And even past that are the foothills of Pikes Peak and then Pikes Peak towering far above them. It would take you hours uh, to walk there, to travel there by horse. And so there's these different landscapes that you can see from one vantage point. And that's kind of what's happening in many apocalyptic writings, including right here in Luke and as well as in Matthew, when Jesus is talking about the end. When will these things take place? And he says, take a look right there. And if you're standing here and you take a look right, or maybe take a look right there, you can see all that is going to unfold. Some of these things are going to take place earlier than others. Some will be a little bit down the line, like Garden of the Gods. Some you have to travel much further and climb a much higher road through a lot more difficulties to get to Pike's Peak or even the peak of it. And Jesus' vantage point is here as he talks to us as he's sharing with his disciples specifically, and then again to us as well a little bit. Now, it's true that Jesus' view is a little bit different. It would actually be from Pikes Peak, if you take a look here. You can actually see more than 150 miles and four states from the top of Pikes Peak on a very clear day. And this is God's perspective on all of it. He's already in that future. He is already in that place as God exists above and outside of time. But for our looking at it today, the way Jesus gave it to the disciples, we'll kind of look at as though we are in the plains. Looking at the plains directly in front of us, the Garden of the Gods a bit off, the foothills and Pikes Peak even beyond that. So let's jump back into the book of Luke and these two questions that Jesus or that the disciples are asking. When will these things take place? Jesus with that perspective is going to answer and how will we know that these things are going to happen soon? Verse 10, Jesus continues. Then he said to them, nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds... Not to meditate beforehand on how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. That was me. I don't know. Okay. A great example of, of, of the perspective of which Jesus is answering these things. Could it be in the near future, the plains, that he is discussing about this? Yeah, absolutely. 
Actually, within a week of Jesus saying these words, part of this will become fulfilled. Matthew 27, verse 50, it says this, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split, and tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Here are people raising from the dead, going into the cities, and showing themselves as alive again after Jesus gives up his spirit and this great earthquake seizes the land. That's right in front of them. In less than a week from these words being spoken, that is going to take place. That's right there in the plains. That's right ahead of them. Now, would those things take, bit, uh, take place a little bit further down the line than Garden of the Gods in that kind of a time frame? Sure. Was that the last earthquake? Absolutely not. There'd be more to come, and I think that as we look even further down the line, even up to the end days, up to the top of Pikes Peak, that there may be an earthquake coming that all other earthquakes will pale in comparison to. And so all these things, from Jesus' perspective, are coming and are ahead of us, and we should be preparing for them. I know that the timing of which is, I don't know exactly, you don't know, and I think we're in good company, that we don't know exactly when all these things will take place. The other thing he just speaks about is persecution. Is persecution going to come? That's coming in the near future. Uh, the, the disciples would be on the run in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are questioned by the Sanhedrin. Acts chapter 5, uh, more believers are arrested and put in prison only to have an angel come in the night and free them. These things are coming soon. Saul, who became Paul in that apocalyptic vision later on in Acts, would actually, in his time, be taken in front of, uh, of the local council, the Sanhedrin, and be questioned. He'd be taken in front of a Roman tribune. He would be in front of Felix, the governor, as well as Festus in Caesarea. He would even appeal to Caesar himself. And so the days were coming fairly soon that they would be brought in front of governments and magistrates and that the Holy Spirit was with him. And with Paul, Jesus actually spent time with him, giving him firsthand the things to say and led by the Spirit. He was able to have influences in each of those individual settings. We read later, uh, looking back uh, at his life as Paul is in prison awaiting to see Caesar himself, he has found himself in the care of Caesar's guard. Those that were the closest to Caesar were put in charge of Paul and they sat with him day and night to guard over him and to protect him, really to make sure nothing happened to him because that would look bad on Caesar. And in that time, Paul took advantage of this circumstance to tell over and over the story of who Jesus is and what he had done. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 21, Paul says, Greet the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you in spirit. We see God's faithfulness as he was put in front of governments. 
And as he was faithful in the message that God gave him in the moment, even those that were closest to Caesar himself were giving their lives and were saints along with them. The saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. He was put before kings and governors. And it said here in this prophecy of Jesus, he said, this is your opportunity to bear witness. Not only did Jesus teach Paul himself, but Jesus would be faithful to so many others who were put in front of of governments and officials. And hundreds, and I would say thousands of times since then until now has that taken place. And in the end days, I think yet again, We will be brought in front of officials and in front of governments, and we will be hated because of our faith in Jesus. And yet I believe that Jesus will be faithful to us as he said that he would be. Those things were both close at hand in the distant future as well as in the end times. Luke chapter 21, verse 20, he continues, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies and know that its desolation has come near, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and those who are inside the city depart and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled." Again, this is Jesus' perspective looking at the future, and they are, I think, words of things yet still to come. And yet for the disciples, they would come not too long. You see, 33 years after these words were spoken, there was a great Jewish revolt against Rome in the year 66 A.D., It lasted for about three and a half, four years, and there was a Roman general whose name was Titus who was brought in to squelch this Roman revolution. And so that's what he did, and he came in, and and they put a stop to this. In fact, there is still to this day something called the Arch of Titus that tells a story of his conquest there. And you can go and visit it today. And if you look closer, there's another picture of what they did when they took it over. They came into the temple and they looted it. You can see the menorah being carried off. And they would go in and destroy this temple. And they would take uh, big, uh, the stones and they, and they would make levers under them and, and push one rock off from the other, completely destroying this temple. The temple of which Jesus is steps away from. And when they said, look at how impressive this architecture is. And he points to it and he says, the day will come. The day will come when you see those stones and how massive and impressive they are that not one will sit on top of another. In fact, today you can still go 
uh, to, to Rome and, and you can to Jerusalem and you can see uh, what's taken place and there are still stones that are laying on the side of the road that were a part of this temple and one not stacked on top of another these massive structures and I was going to ask Mike Clary if he'd seen it I know that he's been there and maybe some of you have been uh, on site to see this that still exists today. And so Jesus is talking about things that would come that they themselves would see with their very own eyes. You know, Titus would come in and, and along with destroying the temple, he actually sacrificed animals on the altar to God. And this was, came to be known as the abomination of desolation. Maybe you've read about that in a couple of places here in Revelation but also in Daniel. You know, it wasn't the first time that that took place. You see, Daniel talked about this, and in the second century B.C., uh, a, a guy named Antiochus IV came in and did the same thing, sacrificing animals to foreign gods on a place that was meant to be for the worship of the one true God, and it was called the abomination of desolation. It had happened in the past. It would happen in their near future, and I believe one day it's going to happen again. I don't know the details of it. I don't know exactly what it will look like. And Titus, who came in and squelched this revolt, was, was giving fulfillment to the teaching of Jesus. Again, when Jesus was only steps away from where that prophecy would be fulfilled. Verse 25, he continues, And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth, Distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud and with power and with great glory. And now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And so we hear these words, and when I read stuff like this, I immediately have visions of the end times and the days that will come. And the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not shine its light. And there's no doubt that this is talking way down the line, right? This is talking about the end days. This is talking about the tip the, at the top of Pike's Peak that, that's to come. Let's take a look at Isaiah and what he wrote 700 years before this. Isaiah chapter 13. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. And the sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Jumping to verse 17, Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them, who have no regard for silver and do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when they overthrew them. You see, Jesus, in this apocalyptic teaching points back to other apocalyptic poems. And he points at the things that had taken place 700 years, or talked about 700 years prior to this. 
And this was actually prophecy against the nation of Babylon, that Babylon would be overthrown by the Medes. And it's really interesting timing with Isaiah as he writes this, because the Medes were nobody. They were not powerful. They didn't have an army that was strong enough to come against Babylon, the greatest nation state that the world had ever seen who would conquer the world. And yet Babylon itself was overthrown by the Assyrians when that happened. People were looking at these verses of Isaiah saying they can never be fulfilled. And yet Babylon rises in power again. We read this about a year ago. And King Darius would eventually come in in the year 521. He is the king of the Medes and the Persians and would overthrow Babylon and fulfill these words. And the words were, the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give light. The sun will be dark at its rising. See, Jesus is using the same apocalyptic poetry that had been used for a long time. Babylon was the center of the capital W world. It was the light to the rest of the world, and it stood as a beacon of power and authority and military might. And yet Isaiah wrote this prophecy against them. Jerusalem now stood in this place, although under Roman occupation, and yet it wasn't supposed to be the center. Jesus was supposed to be the center. And so he's using this language that had taken place in the past to point us to the future and the things that would come. And so Jesus, using these words from Isaiah, uh, knowing that the local audience would have understood this. We have a hard time in our Western mindset reading this ancient document and things that were said and understanding the fullness of what was being talked about. And yet these things were also in Jesus' past, but in his future as well. And I believe in our future. So, but when, right? Isn't that what the disciples were saying? Isn't that what you're wondering? Aaron, why aren't you going to tell us when? No, I'm not. And here's why. Matthew 24, Jesus says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Sorry, I don't know. He didn't know. And here's one thing I know. You don't know. You know? We don't know when these things are going to take place. I don't know if we're still standing out in the plains of Colorado Springs, if we're nearing Garden of the Gods. I don't know if we're climbing up the foothills of Pikes Peak or if we're at the center uh, of, the, of the climb. I don't know if we're about to summit and Jesus is coming back this afternoon. But what I can tell us is we'd better be ready. That's what Jesus is pointing at. He's saying these things are coming. They're going to come in different ways for different generations, but the day will come when there is finality. And I think that we can see from a couple of verses that we read today what we should be doing about it. Luke 21, verse 8 and 9, he says this, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. See, these words of Jesus were beneficial for those that walked with him that day. They would be important for the believers who walked 
Through the days of Acts, as many were coming and saying, I am the returned Messiah, follow me, the day is at hand. And they would be useful for every generation of believers from that time to today until the day that Jesus finally returns and fulfills these end things in the way that only he knows and in a time that only the Father knows. They would have been useful for all of these. What I can tell you is this. We'd better know his word. We'd better know this thing. We'd better know what it talks about from the Old Testament through the New Testament into Revelation. These are all things pointing us back to Jesus as our hope. You see, fear comes with not knowing. We don't have to have that. He's revealed himself to us through his word. And I think we need to understand it to know it better. I came across a video on Sunday of a politician who was quoting scripture and, and was talking uh, about a, a, a bill that was going to be passed. And as this person brought forth their interpretation of scripture, it was straight apostasy. And I read in the comments of this video, finally, this is what we need. Yeah, exactly. That's what we need to hear. This is finally a true Christian. And I'm reading these comments and I'm thinking, these people don't know the Bible. That's not what the Bible says. I'd have hurt my heart. You know what? What this person was saying sounded good. It sounded like, yeah, 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 that should be right, right? Jesus loves all people for all things, for all time, for, I mean, all these kinds of things. And he does love all people just the way that we are. You know what else? He loves us enough not to leave us that way. He loves us enough to bring us back to, to our original intent and our original form. And I'm reading these comments going, they think that that's what the Bible says. You don't have to wonder. Read it for yourself. We have to know what this thing says. Second Timothy says this, I charge you in the presence of God, of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will endure, will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away, to, uh, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Boy, that sounds good, what that person was saying. Yeah, maybe that's... No, it's not the truth, though. And people will gather for themselves people who will say what they want them to hear. Don't do it. Don't trust anybody. Don't trust me. Don't. Everything I say, I hope you're going back and you're pouring over Luke going, I'm not so sure about that Aaron guy. Let me read it for myself. Please. And if you come across something... And, and you see it different than me, call me. Let's get together. Let's talk about it because I don't want what I think. I want what God thinks. Let's get back to his word and look at it together. Do not trust me. Trust the word of God. Know this thing. Spend your, stay home on Sunday. Read it for yourself. That's fine. 
The Holy Spirit's going to be able to teach you a lot more than I'm going to be able to. Don't trust people in and of themselves unless it lines up with the entirety of the Word of God. We have to know this thing. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he goes back to because people will gather for themselves People that say the things that they want them to say. I read this book all the time. And I'm like, God, that's not what I wanted to say. And I'll pray, are you sure that you don't really mean what I think I want it to mean? Are you sure? No, no, I don't. I read a verse this morning that I tell you as it talks in that second part about fear. And, and the things that we fear, and we do fear the unknown. And I was reading in Isaiah 37, and I came across a verse, and I was like, What? What is that? And I had to read it over. Is that really what it said? Read Isaiah 37, the end of it will rock you a little bit. Man, if I have fear in the world and this is the one I serve, then I have nothing to fear. And it's only in knowing who he is as he's revealed himself through God's word that we can learn the truth and then be freed from that fear. The second one is in Luke 21, verse 28. We'll close with this. The band's actually going to come up. We're going to worship and, and sing together of this one that we're learning about. Band, come forward while I read these words. It says, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. What an encouraging set of words. And I think about why would we lower our heads? We lower our heads when we're ashamed. We lower our heads when we're afraid. We lower our heads when we're timid, right? That's when we do these things. I think of my dog, Mishka. She is a bully in our house, and she bullies our little chihuahua, which is somewhat entertaining to watch, I'm not going to lie. But she'll, like, go over to the food bowl and just stand next to it so that Teddy won't go and eat. Then we're like, Mishka, Mishka, get over. And she walks over, timid knows she had been doing something wrong. And Jesus is exhorting us. He says, lift up your heads. Straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And I think about this because I think a lot of dark days are still coming. There's going to be hard times, especially for believers, but we shouldn't cower. We need to know the one who has our back. It's not going to be easy, but we should straighten up and we should raise our heads because there are going to be others that are running for the hills and not sure what's going on. And they need to see the people who look like they know what's happening. And that's us. Straighten up. Raise your heads because the redemption that you have been waiting for so long is drawing near. We don't need to know the future when we know the one who holds that future. So church, straighten up. Raise your head because your redemption is drawing near.